Sheffield Live. Made in Sheffield. Made by you. If you like rock in all its forms, you will love Glory Days. You can listen to us locally on 93.2 FM and on the telly and anywhere in the world on SheffieldLive.org. What do you think, Don? You know what, I think he likes it. That's Glory Days every Monday 1 till 3 here on Sheffield Live. Bosh, bosh. Oops, I've had an accident. This is Sheffield Live. Is this the real life? Is this just fantasy? Caught in a landslide. No escape from reality. Open your eyes. Look up to the skies and see <gasps> Hit the music It's Saturday It's just after 11 and you know what that means It's time for the Live Science Radio Show Wow, what a totally amazing, excellent discovery It will test your head and your mind and your brain, too Kevin! No laughing, come on. Oh, We're on air now. We do know that, actually. Yeah. Good morning and welcome to the Live Science Radio Show here on Sheffield Live 93.2 FM on digital if you're in South Yorkshire or SheffieldLive.org. Yeah. Talking yeah. about what, Graham? Science music in all its forms. Science music? <laughs> music? Just, just you, science so in all its I forms. You never you. know quite what you're going to get. Yeah. Do you? Well, and you're going to get good information well, and interesting stuff. Well, you are. Stuff. We <laughs> yeah. hope so. Anyway, yeah, well, it's Saturday the 2nd of March 2024, just in case you listen on Catch Up. You've got Julie, mm. Paul and Graham live in the yes. studio. Our PG will be speaking to him later in the show. And our guest phoning for this week and indeed every first Saturday of the month, it's Phil Muffet yeah. from the Mexpert and Swinton Astronomical Society. There's not a crowd of girls oh, downstairs. No. Well, apparently, he's going to have to make, he's so famous now, he's got a fan club. Uh, he's going to have to make some T-shirts next year or yeah. something. Can you believe <laughs> he that? He can try and get a and fan club. what's well, more, he's got, he's got me to compete before with. Before he even comes on here, he's out running. Running in the rain, in yeah. the cold. I, I mean, I wouldn't do that. No, no. I just go out there and swan around, fancying myself. Indeed. And anyway, <laughs> oh, the guest phoning for next week, uh, yeah. all being well, is Ogo Osamo. Oh, yes. Dr. Ogo Osamo. Uh, if we can get him online, he, he's he, a busy man. He knows his stuff, though, he doesn't he? Does. Yeah. He certainly does. He certainly does. We test him to we the We test end. him to the limits. <laughs> I've noticed. I've heard you <laughs> pushing your luck with him. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway, first up this week, we're going to remind you of a great radio programme. Uh, mm. It's on Radio 4. Yep. Weekly Fridays. It started in January, mm. uh, but you can catch it on BBC Sounds. I think there's been eight episodes so far. Yeah, and it was and our Graham who told us about oh, yeah, it. Yeah, and you can save them and you know listen. We well, can them listen in. to them. Yeah, it's it's all about uh, biggest issues for our planet. Yeah. So it's it's an environmental journalist called Tom Heap and mm. physicist Helen Chertsky, and they tackle a major story each week. And there's some great topics on yeah. on the website. How did you come across that then, Graham? Just I always listen to science shows on Radio Four. Just to see when I find them to, or to keep up with the uh, well, competition. Yeah. You mean? I like science. It's interesting, isn't it? It is. You can learn all sorts mm. of stuff so come on then what what's on there so one of them is how do we get our healthy rivers back question uh, healthy mark. what's back healthy rivers back question mark 
Rivers? Yes. Oh, right. Can the oceans save us from climate change? Question mark. Can politicians save the planet? Oh. Question mark. Well. Alien invasion? Can we build a better world with wood? Ooh. Is this about, yeah, yeah. Uh, using it to build housing stuff? Yeah. Is More the, sustainable? Is the wood the key to a healthier people and a cooler planet? Can we live without waste? Biggest environmental issues on the planet. Mm. <laughs> Is nature better off without us? Oh, I think mark. that's about should we intervene. Yeah, well, the programme's called Rare Earth. Yeah. But Graham was mentioning another... Uh, science program. If you're interested in that sort of thing, uh, it's on the World Service. You that said. one is. Well, th- there's there's a few on that for some reason feature on the World Service, and then other stuffs on Radio Four. So you do need to do a bit of searching around sometimes. But there's always two or three good sciency based shows on Radio Four. So where would you find World Service? The World Service is uh, depends whether you listen to on your telly or on on an actual radio. Oh, right, so you can uh, just search for it. You can search for World Service on most things. And uh, if not, just go on to the BBC iPlayer and find it on there. The, be the, the next list. thing yeah. we're going to talk about this morning, some interesting stuff. Mm. This was in the news a few days ago. It's about why firms are racing to produce green ammonia. Now, who would have thought ammonia was uh, so important? But apparently it is. Mm. It says it would be impossible to feed the world's population without fertiliser. Yeah. Well, and a lot of it's fair. based on that. So in the 19th century, Europeans realised what the Inca had known for long before, had known long before, bird droppings made fantastic fertiliser. Mm. And so sprang up a gigantic industry dedicated to harvesting. Bird uh, Yeah, from yeah. Latin American bird colonies. Mm. Interesting. It's so rich in ammonia, which is a, a, the key ingredient, that a mere whiff could induce coughing and sneezing. Mm. So not exactly something plants, you'd want to transport. It? So no. as demand for fertiliser rose in the early 1900s, someone began to think, perhaps there's another way. And mm. a German chemist uh, came up with the idea. Uh, so it's Fritz Haber and Carl Bosch developed the Haber-Bosch process for synthesising ammonia, mm. would you believe? Yeah, so we've relied on that technology for, for more than 100 years. Wow. Without it, the world's population might be just half of what it is today. So vital is ammonia fertiliser for Doesn't growth. sound mm. very pleasant, but clearly, yeah. Mm. It's useful. I mean, not all chemicals are pleasant, but... Most chemicals have got a use. So they're saying that that original process was powered by fossil fuels, Mm. of course. So this is where they're on about trying to find a greener way of doing it. So ammonia production currently accounts for nearly 2% of global carbon dioxide emissions. Mm. So now a a load of companies are trying to find a better way of producing uh, it without... uh, Affecting the climate. Well, it's green ammonia. That's what they're green right. ammonia. The yeah. buzzword, eh? So what they're saying then? We have a well-sealed system. You don't smell it, says Joe Beach recently. He's co-founder and chief executive of Starfire Energy, a US-based firm that is developing a means of producing ammonia from renewable energy, air and water. But he argues the pungency of ammonia is actually a benefit. If there's a leak, oh, yeah. you'll that's some why, know. That's why they that's, put, that's why they put a, a smelling gas, isn't yes. it? Yeah, Natural normal gas. gas we have in houses. So ammonia is actually NH3. 
Oh, which must mm. mean I'd, I'd have to look this up. It must be a, a, to do with nitrogen and hydrogen. There. It is. It's nothing it's more nothing, than... Oh, yeah, the nitrogen and hydrogen, both highly abundant elements. Earth's mm. atmosphere is, is mostly nitrogen and water is full of hydrogen. So Starfire Energy, this company, uses electro, electrolysis yeah, to split mm. hydrogen from water and then mm. feed it into reactor along with nitrogen to make their ammonia. Mm. And then the ingredients flow through a honeycomb structure laced with catalysts, similar to catalytic converter in your car's exhaust. So that device encourages nitrogen to bond with hydrogen and liquid ammonia is collected at the end of the process. So, crucially, the the whole thing can says Mr Beach, run on intermittent renewable energy such as wind and solar. For a conventional ammonia plant to go from cold to full output is two to three days process, he says. For us, it's about a two-hour process. Right. Wow, minute, so it's interesting. So, so, yeah. so when he says ammonia plant, he means the actual building, not building. the yeah, plant yeah, that not, makes... Well, yeah. Not a plant, ammonia <laughs> plant. <laughs> the plant that makes the chemicals all together. Yeah, but who, do, who, who knew that, that we're so dependent on uh, on uh, ammonia then to, mm. to ensure we can grow enough food? Well, we didn't, us three. But, uh, you know, experts, Well, we do I'm now, sure, yeah, but say. this is why we picked stuff... Stuff up. Yeah. Anything more exciting to say about that story then? Not really. I never knew really anything about it. So they're all at it then. There's people all over the world uh, are are trying to look into how they can make it a greener process. But they're saying they'd have to scale it up significantly for it to be. To ex- to yeah. Yeah, but they they scale up everything that works, don't they? If you you develop a. Like nitrogen is used a lot in growing plants and things, isn't it? In growing, uh, growing crops and stuff. Nitrogen has to be created to be to go into the soil, and uh, you know you you wouldn't get well, the sort get of this. amount of. Not only they want to use it for fertilizer, yeah. they're now thinking they can use ammonia as a fuel. Right. Well, we'll have to watch this space for yeah, what happens with that. Yeah. But ammonia, NH3 for you scientists out yeah, there. And so basically, it's all about decarbonizing And it's very smelly. Yeah. But anyway, apparently, it, it really helps us feed the world, as it were. Hopefully, yeah. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Live Science Radio Show here on Sheffield Live, 93.2 FM, talking about all sorts science-related. Next up, this is a very interesting one. Yeah. I picked this up in, in the press a week or so ago. Get ready for a storm premium. What's all that about then? Well, unsurprisingly, buildings insurance has gone up 32%, (laughs) with insurers blaming the rising cost of materials and labour and more frequent extreme weather events. In fact, earlier on today, I picked up that for England and Wales, it's been one of the warmest Februarys on record. Mm. Again. Uh, So the average annual home insurance bill was £193 in the last three months of 2023, compared with £146 in the same months of 2022. And that's according to the consumer website Compare the Markets. Mm. Now, the UK was hit by six named storms during the last three months of 2023. That's a lot, isn't it? Yeah. It was one after the other, wasn't it? Including Babette, uh, Kyrian or Syrian and Debe. Causing three hundred and fifty-two million pounds worth of damage, and that's according to the Association of British Insurers. Well, you can imagine how much damage can get caused by things like wind and rain and stuff. Because I have had to claim on insurance on about three or four occasions in the past for different houses being damaged 
by bad weather, you know, yeah. mostly bad wind and blowing tiles off your roof, that sort of thing. And the only reason we don't get that now is our our roof tiles are fastened down. We've got one of those dry fix roofs. Yeah. So it looks normal, but it's been held down by screws going into the wooden bits. And this is where, where you go home later today and your roof's blown off. Yeah, that's right. right. <laughs> that's right, yeah. So the storms, these storms, yeah. that, you know, the six name storms that we had at the end of last year, the storms came after long periods of dry weather, mm. which can uh, make flooding and subsidence worse. Mm. So according to the uh, European Union's Copernicus Climate Change Service, 2023 was the warmest year since records began in 1850. So that's food for thought. Mm. Those living close to tall trees, which is an issue oh, now yes. in case they get blown down or they fall over because the ground's so wet. <laughs> Those living to, close to tall trees or in homes with unusual roofing materials such as thatch have suffered the biggest insurance increases. I'll tell you the one that hits me when I'm walking home from the bus stop is that my old friend Richard, who I used to go to school with, his family own a house at the end of a general near on, our, on, our, on my own estate. And right next to it, about, well, 12, 13 foot away, there's a massive tree. Uh, well, enormous. this is it. This is a big problem. Yeah, and, and you, I, I'm sure that is going to fall I down think and if smash you buy, house to bits If you buy day. a house now, yeah. part of the survey is how close you are to the trees. trees. Yeah, Exactly. This one is waiting to fall yeah, on this, this house. Yeah, this is it. Interestingly, it. Yeah. we talk about type of roof makes a big difference in your cost of insurance. The average cost of uh, insuring a thatched property rose 56% yeah. from £1,272 to £1,985. So maybe yeah. you don't want that lovely don't, cottage don't with a thatched thatch. roof. No. A time for work, a time for play A time to run, a time to stand and the heats of day and the cool of night I see the look in your eyes That says we're way past our time I should have seen it coming, baby the time to loosen our time Don't want to stand in your way I'm sure we'll meet up someday We can't look back on good times Of golden days of past Those are memories we'll last We don't feel stars behind the green We can't see wood for the trees The stars that shine in the sky Beautiful track there, Coliseum, Storms Behind the Breeze, because we're talking about insurance premiums. 
uh, yeah. the impact on them because of all the storms we've been having and continue Just to think have. if you live next to the River Ouse in York. Oh, I mean, you won't be happy. <laughs> we went a few weeks ago and the river yes. was really high. I know. They're still talking about uh, fields, farmers' fields in Lincoln still being underwater, yeah, which is not good for food production. Yeah. It's, it's, not stuff. Good for it's not good anyway for anybody, is it? No. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to the Live Science Radio Show here on Sheffield Live, 93.2 FM on digital if you're in South Yorkshire. Or Sheffield Live Dog talking about science in all its forms and we should have our PG on the line. Yeah. Science. Hello. Good morning, Paul. Graham's Good even morning. singing Hi, along to your intro music. Yeah. Yeah. Who's my pal? I've got to give him a good introduction. Exactly. So, Paul, what's caught your eye this week in the science news? Well, I've got uh, a little bit of local news, which has brought a smile to my face, from Sheffield University. Uh, They commissioned a study into uh, the production of beers, and uh, uh, the outcome is that Sheffield retains its... uh, title as the real hell capital of the world oh is that correct mm. yeah so the beer report 2024 authored by pete brown uh, sort of uh, looked into beer production and uh, says that uh, sheffield and south yorkshire is home to 58 breweries wow and that's that more that, ahead than anywhere else in the country Mm. So uh, they produce about 1,800 different beers every year and approximately 300 different real ales are on sale in Sheffield every day. Amazing. Do you tempted to go and try them then, Paul? All all of them in one day? No. (laughs) Tell you what, if ever you go to a beer festival, really be prepared because... (laughs) You can easily get carried away, can't you, Paul? Interestingly, so it says, it says Sheffield and South Yorkshire, there is a lot of breweries in, well, Rotherham, Barnsley, mm. particular. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think uh, uh, Sheffield is still uh, uh, fairly concentrated as oh, the, the centre of it. Mm. Um, but uh, probably 70% of the brewed uh, locally are consumed locally. Mm. Well... So, uh, I remember a few years ago they had a big beer festival in this building that we're in now doing the radio show and uh, all the different beer suppliers had little little stalls, they had all the stuff set up around the main area where you walk into this building. And I went. Yep. To, I attended this thing, and uh, <laughs> slightly more than I would have normally had to drink, as you can imagine. Was it free, Graham? Well, it was at the end. That's the no. problem. At the end of the day, all <laughs> these people word, vanished. Free. And left all the beer there. And we, we got a message saying, if there's anything left, you can drink it. So that's what we did. Yeah. And me and a few, quite, quite a few others from this station drank slightly more than would have been probably ideal. Because I remember it, it, uh, it well, it made me feel a bit under weather. I must admit afterwards. But it was all free at the end. <laughs> it's still He's on about free. That's the stuff. That's the sort of beer festival Paul, I want to interesting that what you're saying, there is a lot of Sheffield Brews and they all have their own named ales and, and people yeah. are into that, aren't they? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, the, the thing is, on the study, Sheffield, Sheffield and the region come out with four breweries per 100,000 head of population. Wow. And that compares to, I think, the second one uh, the list is Edinburgh, which is 1.1. Wow. Uh, Manchester's only got 0.2. London has 0.4. And Dublin has got 0.6. 
So I guess you can tell where uh, people appreciate a glass of uh, fine ale. The fine yeah. ale. <laughs> and generally, the brewing local breweries are brewing them small scale. Generally, uh, orga- you know, organic. Maybe not got any chemicals in them. There's absolutely uh, a real sort of spread of, of types of beers and uh, the development of new uh, beer tastes. So uh, it's, it's, it's a very sort of thriving area of our local economy. And I did a, a, a thing oh, quite a long time ago when it started to appear that Sheffield was becoming a, a, a centre for brewing because I used to work in a brewery in Sheffield. You did? So, uh, hmm. That's kind of interesting. And, uh, How I, I come to a lot of people who used to work at Whitbread Breweries <laughs> and they also used to like a tipple, didn't they? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with bread brewery people and they used to get a bit of free beer didn't they at certain times was it once a year you got some free beer or something no I got a daily allowance daily allowance a daily, daily allowance. allowance that's my sort of job two, two pints of beer a day and uh, <laughs> yes it, one of the things that a lot of uh, industries did uh, I mean the uh, steel industry used to provide uh, they did free beers as well for uh, people who worked in the furnace areas and things. Well, it helped your palate, didn't it? It was good for you, you know, getting that liquid inside you. That's what I say, anyway. It out because it was was actually safer to drink than water. Way back it was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. uh, Yeah, purer. But enough of the ale. Um, uh, One of the other sort of staples of modern life is electricity. Isn't it? Yes. And uh, there's a, a bit of a mounting problem. Uh, in the UK, in the the distribution network, the national grid, uh, and whether it's actually fit for purpose these <laughs> days. And I mean, if you sort of don't understand electricity, one of the things you push a switch and you see a light come on, and you don't really care about how it got there and, and what it was. But uh, if you imagine that there's a power station which is generating massive amounts of power, uh, you've got to transfer it from wherever that power station is to wherever a user is going to be. So that's why we see pylons with massive cables stringing across the country and a lot of unseen connections, uh, underground cable connections and things. Um, I think uh, that uh, Woodhead Tunnel uh, uh, across the Pennines when it closed down has actually got a massive power cable yeah, now yeah. running through it. Mm. So it's um, it's a difficult thing. Uh, but if back to, to the start, we concentrated the generation of power into these large, uh, production facilities and uh, the choices were made around the world. So the UK, we had 240 volts of electricity, and it's an alternating current, so that is at 50 cycles per second, or 50 hertz. Uh, in the US, they settled on 110 volts electricity and 60 cycles per second, or 60 hertz. And Edison, when he built one of the first power stations, could only supply power at just over a mile away from the power center. Uh, because the uh, cables that were necessary, the copper cables to carry it, uh, so huge. And so as as were kind of reduced in size by the choice that we made, and over time, uh, Europe adopted 
the sort of same kind of power, different connectors and all the rest of it, but uh, we kind of settled on 230 volts in Europe and uh, 50 hertz. And that fed into all sorts of things like the TV pictures that we watched and lots of other things. But uh, it started out big power station and it produced things at high voltage, high power, and that needed to be divided down. So we used things like transformers uh, to change that voltage down to something that went lovely into uh, industry. Then we fed it into a thing that you find in a lot of districts, uh, but you don't really notice. There's one just at the top of my road, which is an electricity substation. And a lot of the time these days, it's a lump of grey industrial looking something or other in a cupboard. And uh, that's where the, the heavier power comes in and it's distributed out at a level to your home. And uh, you, you sort of follow that system through and that's developed over a, a long time. Uh, but essentially, it's a kind of a feed-out system from the power production centres to your home. And what's been happening recently is that, well, solar panels have appeared on people's roofs. And wind generation has, has appeared. And the thing was, the, the big power stations could up their outputs and reduce their outputs in line with our demand. And, uh, uh, yeah, we've featured on the show before that wind power actually has become a significant generator for us. But it only functions when there's wind. Exactly. And sometimes um, there's too much wind, like yeah, the storms, uh, and sometimes there's not enough. <laughs> uh, so they, they, they essentially turn that off. So what we're moving into is, is, a, is a time now where the old power stations are going offline, the new energy is not totally sustainable in terms of output. Uh, yeah, levels. It. It's not constant, is it? Yeah. So what's happening is, is a, a thing that uh, occurred as a, a sort of minor problem in some of the old generation. It's just this backfeed, which is the power that you produce going out actually had a kind of an echo that went back. So it, some of its power back towards the, the generating system. And there were systems to deal with that. But now, because of power and other things, when we're generating solar power, we're not actually using it at home. We can feed that back to the national grid. And so you'll see one of the things that you can do from solar power is to earn money or be credited against power when it's not being produced by yourself at home. And that backfeed needs a new kind of process in terms of the national distribution grid. So there's a change, and unfortunately, we've got a very old system now because it's well established, and so it needs a major overhaul in areas to be able to take these new types power back and distribution out to us so that when you roll out of bed in the morning, you reach out and fumble to put the light switch on and something to happen, 
some things have got to change. So there's a mounting sort of crisis of investing in, in the national infrastructure. And it's not just here. A lot of other places are going to have to face up to the same thing. So in the United States, they've suffered some power outages because they, they've not really sort of sorted out the distribution grid yet for the types of energy that uh, are around. And they, yeah. They've actually reduced massively the, the coal-powered fire stations, which were the kind of thing that we could ramp up and slow down um, to control the, the peaks and troughs of, of electricity demand. So power distribution is something that we take for granted. You know, it's not something that you want to go and study in detail to find out that, hey, I just want to press the switch <laughs> things things to occur. Uh, but there is a change coming, and that change is going to cost some money. And even if you go off-grid, you get into the position of how you maintain your supply over your demand. And our demands a lot of the time when it's cold, when it's dark. Yes. Peak times, because we share a clock. So we have the thing of uh, people on, on watching football on TV. Uh, you know there's going to be a peak demand when people go at half time and put the kettle on and have a snack uh, and go back to watch TV. You know that first thing in the morning, we're all going to reach for the light switch, the kettle switch, the toaster. So we have the peak there. Uh, when you get back in the evening, you need to cook your evening meal. So, yeah, there's a peak demand there. So the national grid has to be able to cope with those fluctuations. And we just talked about storms and the yes, weather. Yes, indeed. That, that in, it, it indeed is, is going to affect our demand. And also our supply sometimes, because those overhead cables sometimes get pulled down by falling trees or something. And it's like a lot of things, Paul. We take take a lot of this for granted. We just uh, absolutely don't even think, think about it until we have a power cut, and everybody's like, <gasps> you know, got yeah. no phone, no t, whatever, no and TV, your freezers, freezers defrosting, and <laughs> well, it's it's one of those things. I think you know, if if you actually sit and think about a day. Um, and you think about the things that you rely on. Uh, electricity is, is the wonder thing that we all live by. Uh, it's developed o over a couple of hundred years, and it's, it's got to change direction because uh, we're trying to stop strangling the planet. with. You know, the well, this emissions. was one of the things that came out of the COP, uh, cop uh, end of last year wasn't it I forgot is it COP28 it's yes. just been uh, conference yeah. of the parties shifting away from fossil fuels you yeah. know and our produced energy but that's not an, that's not a, a, a baby step is it it's quite a big change to make and it's, it's yeah. not going to happen overnight it's going to take decades and I think the argument's been we should have been thinking about this years earlier well I mean, I think, uh, so the awareness of climate change is probably 50 years um, in, in, in sort of increasingly uh, coming to the forefront. So if, if you look, it's a, you know, a, a small portion so far of the time we've been applying electricity to our lives. 
and to move forward yeah. we've got a, a lot of things i mean a lot of these systems we've talked about before so uh, how do you store energy well there's a massive project underway in scotland soon to build yet another huge reservoir where they'll pump water into the reservoir and release it into hydroelectric to store power. Yeah. And uh, America, they've been trying things like um, uh, pushing a heavy uh, sort of a, a train up a track and releasing that when the power's needed to generate power coming back down. Um, yeah, we've got it in Wales. We cord out a mountain and we have a, a, a sump there where we fill it full of water uh, when we've got power in excess. And then later on, when we don't have the power and the demands there, we release that water to generate power through hydroelectric. It's amazing, mm. but we obviously need to do more of it. And if you remember, when we had Dr. Gorsmore, he did talk about the benefits of tidal energy, there's a lot of complexity there and a lot of expense there because it's not quite so easy to get things under the, under the sea. But tides are constant. You know, they're always there. Again, it's a different source to mm, tap into a national yeah, grid. Yeah. <clears throat> and the thing is that a nuclear power station generates at one kind of level. Yeah. Uh, coal, coal generates at a slightly different level. Uh, so... That needs to be adapted to the distribution grid so that when you come to the switch, you don't sort of blow every light in the house. And it's an interesting <laughs> one because years back, well, they're still trying to do it now, aren't they? Is it blending hydrogen with natural gas? Yeah, for, for, absolutely. For, for, for domestic heating and saying the problem is you can't, you can't just put hydrogen through a, a normal heating system that's based on gas because it just couldn't cope with it well it's the same as when when we change the gas system from for, to, to to take on board north sea gas um it, you know you had to have the burners on on gas appliances adapted for the new fuel um mm. but the the energy companies are, are putting a, a much much more increasing pressure on the government to say uh I think the agreement is 2% is, is, is currently what the government is saying allow to be into the gas system of, yeah. of Argent. Interesting. But they want to go into double figures plus uh, in, in, with other places in Europe. Um, you know, the government's looking at a slightly lower level. Uh, than other countries are already putting 4% in, I think. Um, yeah. So, so watch this space. It, it, it's going to be a development. And I say it's just the, the world shift from what we were doing, burning hydrocarbons and, and you know, fossil fuels to generate electricity, to distribute it. A lot of things have been adapted to... to oh, oh you nearly went then, Paul. I think oh, we nearly right. lost your signal. I reckon that's your nod to clear off. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't mean it like that, Paul. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's uh, a, a, an interesting thing, but it's it something that we usually don't actually think about. 
Well, no, we, we, you know, we want the end result. But... Exactly. And the world is a changing place. Yep. Absolutely. We've got to adapt, and this is going to come through at some point. So, uh, Indeed. Great stuff, Paul, as yep. usual. Really interesting. Speak to you Monday, Glory's Rock Show, one yeah. till three. Electric by mm. Tubeway Army 1979, mm. one of my favourite tracks for the record, so it's hurt me to take that off. Yeah. Gary Newman, of course, who's playing the lead metal uh, later this year, yeah. and it's sold out, but I'm not going. It no, was in effect that. just Gary Gary Newman, it, wasn't it? it the old well, ba- all the band fell apart, and yeah, then that became a hit record. If you've just yeah. tuned in, you listen to the Live Science Radio Show here on Sheffield yeah. Live 93.2 FM on digital if you're in South Yorkshire, sheffieldlive.org, mm. talking about science in all its yeah. different and, forms. I, I want to know our friends electric I think they are our fillies we we have we've got Mm. our Phil Muffet on the phone destination space via the magic of telecommunications please give a big round of applause for Mr Phil Muffet yes Glenn, what are we thinking? I know. Eh? Good morning, Phil. Good, good morning. morning. Your, your good morning. fans are waiting for you. <laughs> yes, good song, by the way. It's amazing. Yeah. It's my, yeah, uh, second only to Teen Spirit by Nirvana. They're my two favourite ever songs, and I have not wavered. They're great, but you they need are. to get out a bit more. And, Joel, no, you know? no, <laughs> no, I'm sticking with it. You're in your office, Phil, waiting, aren't you? To talk to he us. was poised yeah. waiting for us. Yeah, he is. He You've was. been on your run this morning. You are mad, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, we're training up a new a new cohort of thirty runners. Oh my couch, words! Couch, couch to five k. 
Excellent. Oh, it's, it's a been great thing month. to week do. Three, it's week a... three, it's been nice this morning. We just avoided the rain. It's a great yeah. thing to do. That's uh, with Matt, is it Manvers Waterfront Boat Club? It is, yes. They're a great, it's a great organisation. Go and check out their website. It's fantastic. You do all sorts yeah. of stuff there. Get fit, make swimmers, new friends. Swimmers, it's 6.5 degrees this morning. Uh, the, the other week, we had an, a record temperature of 8 degrees. It, like, broke my graph. Last week. Is that fe- so yeah. was that for February? That was the middle, middle of February. It should have been four, four, four point five degrees. It's not right, it is eight. it? It's not it right. Was, I, I, I thought we had it checked with three different thermometers to make sure it was a correct reading. <laughs> it was way, way a degree and a half above any any in the past. Mm. So well, yeah, it, it's, it's the weather. It's the weather, but it has cooled down a bit. But it's, it's it's down to a high normal now. Hmm. A high normal. It's still too cold for me, I have to say. To anybody listening, don't go and swim in a in a lake. Do it do it do it supervised. Manvers Waterfront Boat Club, great place to do it. Don't go and do it. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree with you on that. There's so much to talk about, Phil. Oh my, where where are you gonna start then? Come on. I don't know. No planets in the park. Go on then. That was last Saturday. Was that only last Saturday? Gosh. It was last Saturday from about six o'clock up to about nine o'clock. We finished, I think. Uh, we had about 100 people to open the public. Uh, and that was Clifton Park, Rotherham. You had good weather, though. Cold, but clear, well, it, I guess. A bit, a, a bit cloudy. It broke up, though, so we had a good shot of the uh, Jupiter and the moon was a f- nearly a full moon. So the moon looked pretty good as well. Yeah. But you do ever so well with all your public outreach stuff, Yeah, well, well Tony, Tony Morris, our curator, organised the Planets in the Park in association with Rotherhamborough Council and Clifton Park. Wow. So they've got a garden room where the bowling green is. They've got like a a, a, room, a classroom, so I can do a planetarium show. And there's a courtyard that's like really well protected from the weather and the wind. And uh, it's a really good venue to do outside stuff. Because I've it's, worked it's out, really you, you you make sure you're inside. I do. And you, yeah. well, rest of Mexican Swinton Astronomical Society are helping the public outside. Yes, years of experience. Yeah. <laughs> it's, not, it's not as daft as he sounds, you know, Phil. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And also, I know it's not directly related to Mexican Swinton Astronomical Society, but um, you, you did a talk at the Ionic Temple at uh, Wentworth Woodhouse. Yeah, during, during my professional career, I've been doing quite a bit of work on the house. And um, I know a couple of the people, as you do yourself. Yes. And I, I believe you, you got, got me a contact there. Anyway, I did a talk on the temple in the garden, which was quite interesting. I, I basically did a talk on on, on uh, Greek uh, gods, how they relate to temples, the evolution of the temples, why you got circular ones as well as square ones. Wow. And basically, who built it and, and what, what, it was, what it is now. So you went down so, a storm then? It was yeah, it was lovely. We had about forty people in wow. the room, and there was also I think it might have been about twenty people online as well. Fantastic. So the, the, the video did, and I, I, I'm not sure what we're going to do with the video. But I hear you're so popular, Phil, that you've got a fan club now, and that you're having t-shirts <laughs> made next year. What are you having on the t-shirts, Phil? MSAS. It's going to say fill your boots. That's what it's MSAS.org.uk. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And to be fair, before we go on to talk about Eye on the Sky and Planets and all your club news, you are doing an astronomy night at Wentworth Woodhouse, and that sold out literally the same day uh, it was advertised. That's in the Camellia House. It is. It's it's, it's open to. Well, yeah, there's 40 people turning up. I think there's also going to be food and drink involved in the prize. 
So we'll, we'll do a, a planetarium show. And, as usual. and that's the 16th of March, telescope. isn't it? It's at the 16th of yeah, March, but it's, it's sold out. Yeah. So what I would say to anybody listening who's keen in that sort of thing is to probably follow you follow uh, follow you on Facebook on Facebook. Uh, yeah uh, uk is your website as well. Website. Check that out, and because as soon as those events come up, particularly if the tickets are. You've, you sold out straight yeah, away. You, get you need a bigger venue, Phil. On <laughs> <laughs> um, Thursdays, we we have Eventbrite uh, on uh, tickets. We can sell online. I think the two pounds or a pound, which is a bargain, isn't it? Eh? Yeah, and you can you can you can you can watch our meeting on, on online. Uh, at the same time, we're running our Thursday night meetings. We do, we do all kinds of stuff. But you do them at your Huber Observatory, don't Obser- you? Yeah. At the moment, we're doing them at the observatory and online and at home as well. Uh, some some of about two thirds of the members go online from home because they live all over. Well, so, it, it, it makes sense, doesn't it? And it means your your uh, spread of knowledge and everything is is greater. It, yes, it's, it's really good, and, and we're getting guest speakers from further afield. We're having online. So we we had a guy a couple of weeks ago uh, come and talk in the observatory. We've got Paul Money coming on the twenty first, talking about ten stunning images in the solar system. Paul Money comes from Boston down in Lincolnshire. Absolute terrific speaker. I've known him since the nineteen eighties. Wow! That's one of, one of the first guest speakers I ever saw up at the Amateur Astronomy Centre up in Todmorden. Uh, oh, we've also uh, got next next week. We've got. Why Martian Canal? Uh, Martian Canals never existed, and then on the fourth. Oh, uh, hey, that's a bit deep. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we, we cover everything. It amazes me after doing forty, fifty years of astronomy, every meeting is different. You learn something it's new. Never the same from week to week. I, I don't know how we can have so many meetings and not just keep covering the same stuff. Uh, it's unbelievable. Well, but the other thing is, we learn so much yeah. as well. Yeah, I mean, there's, it's like the new satellite that's landed on the moon and it's fell over and all that kind of... It's all groundbreaking stuff. Uh, International Space Station, it's all groundbreaking stuff. And we're finding new stuff out all the time. So astronomy's not like got to the end, it's still developing. Well, and, yeah, you know, yeah. And uh, astro science is just, you know, it's just out there. Well, the, I mean, the James Webb telescope's finding some really interesting stuff, you know, oh, from yeah. the edge of the universe almost, you know. Yeah, yeah, and it's looking at stuff we've looked at before and finding new stuff totally out. Totally different, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. right. It's incredible, isn't it's it? It's fascinating yeah. stuff, that. Yeah, yeah. But some people are re, re, reanalyzing the old... Uh, Voyager pictures that passed Jupiter and Saturn and mm. the solar system, yeah. using modern using modern computing techniques, they're enhancing the pictures and re-looking at stuff from the 1970s and 80s. Yeah, I yeah. we we talked about it uh, a bit ago about they they'd looked at the colour again of is it Jupiter and Saturn? They they always yeah. thought they were different colours, but actually there's there's similar similar blue, but one slightly bluer. I think one was thought to be green, was it? Okay. Oh, I don't know. Uh, it was something. It was something I'm, like that. From, sure from, that. from the old photographs, the way they processed the photographs back then had made them look different colours. Like one was blue mm. and one was green. But actually, when they did, they, they re- went back to those photographs with modern techniques. They actually realised that actually they went back to the original photos. I think they realised they were actually mm. very similar in colour. Yeah, well, of course they, have, they use filters, so uh, yeah, ah, a lot of yes. the stuff, a lot of the stuff is not the actual visual colour. 
a lot of the, the a lot of and Hubble did the same. They have the Hubble palettes and, and NASA have, have, have filters. Oh, I think and they do it yeah. to bring the colours out that we would recognise rather than natural colours. It's like when you look at Orion's Nebula. If you look at it through a telescope, it's kind of a dull grey green colour. You look at photographs and it's like pinks and reds and all kinds of stuff. So, so depending on how you photograph it and what filters you're using, you bring out different details in the clouds. So, yeah, it, it's extens- filters are extensively used in photography for, for astronomy. And if to see the true colours would probably be a bit dull, and you wouldn't see the actual true effect. I know I've got I've got I've got the big, big planets mixed up, Phil, because I'm not as clever as you. I think it's Uranus. And oh, Uranus is definitely greenish. Greenish, yeah, yeah. yeah but they're saying it's actually more more like Jupiter. I think I'd have to. I, I think I'll have to go back yeah. and have a think about that. It might be Neptune. I don't know. What do I know? Yeah, yeah, Neptune's more blue. That Neptune. that could be yeah. it. What I read. I read about two planets anyway. But the the thing was about going back to old yeah. pictures and having another yeah. closer look at them yeah. and how they well, were processed. Well, if you look at the planets just towards, well, with the naked eye, you can, you, if you put Jupiter and Saturn next to each other, you can tell that the, there's a difference in the colour. Jupiter's more white. Uh, Saturn's got kind of a, a sandy, yellowy tinge to it. So, and it's a little bit fainter as well. So you can, you can tell they're all, they're all different colours. Uh, even to naked eye. And is that just out of interest? Sorry, I'm detracting from you. Yeah. Uh, out of interest, is the colour to do with what? Their, their atmosphere, the, gases, the gases? Yeah, the atmosphere, the gases of the atmosphere, that's right. Wow. Of course, Mars is predominantly red. It's definitely red because of the, the iron oxides and the rusts wow. in, the, in, in the sand. And then, of course, Venus, you've got the white, white and blue clouds. Uh, it's really, really white. Uh, in fact, I think Venus is the whitest of all the planets. Uh, and of course, it's because it's close and big, you get a lot more dazzle. Yeah, and oh. you, you can't actually see any detail of the planet, though, can you? No, you Venus, can't, you can't it's see just a big blob of white stuff. <laughs> just a blob. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> Sorry, I've, de- I've detracted you there, Phil. So, what else in your club news? Anything more exciting to tell us? So, if you're looking for planets, are a bit, a bit, a bit difficult at the moment. Venus and Mars are very close to each other at the moment, and they're up in the morning. Bit too early for me. Oh, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're not actually Earth. close to each other. They like lined up, so they look close to they each other up, to us. Yes. Yeah, yeah. When we say close, what we mean is that like um, it's a visual alignment. It's yeah, a visual, visual alignment. Point. So when you say they're up early in the sky, and what's early? Oh, before, before, but as soon as, as soon as uh, it's before day, day, before daybreak, you'll yeah. see them before the sun pops up. Mercury's really, really low to the horizon. Just before the sun pops up, you struggle. In fact, I don't think you'll see Mercury. It's too close. Saturn's getting close to the sun. So in an evening, the only planets you'll see is Jupiter, which is quite bright and low down, and it's setting after the sun. It's getting closer and closer as the sky's moving round. They're getting lower, and then there's Uranus that's quite close. Now, photograph Uranus last week. It's been really difficult with the weather, and the atmosphere's not been very since January. It's been very turbulent, and to do some decent photography of faint stuff has been really tricky because the atmosphere is twinkling all over the place. When you when you when you say the atmospheres, it's not been good conditions. What what do you mean by that? Is that the weather, or is it something yeah, else? Yeah, it, it, it's like it's, it, the, the turbulence in the atmosphere. It, it, it's, it's warm. Just before in, at the end of January, we had a cold spell where we had some Arctic air come down from the North Pole. It was really dry. It was cool and it was steady. 
since the end of January or through February, we've had the weather coming up from down south. Yes. It's been turbulent, it's been damp, it's been wet, and, 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 it, and, and it's, it's, it's turbulent. So looking at faint objects and trying to photograph them, uh, it's like shimmering. I, uh, I, tried, I did a couple of brilliant photographs of the moon last month. I tried the same thing this month, and I, the, the photographs are completely different. Can't focus properly because the atmosphere will not allow... It distorts the image. Interesting. So I, I was getting some nice, crisp craters. The small stuff, I just can't focus because of the atmosphere. So, uh, yeah, when, it, when the stars are twinkling, it's not good. When they're nice and steady and still... It's a good night. So I'm using an iPhone through the eyepiece to try and photograph. Like, well, I got uh, the Vesta, the second largest asteroid in the solar system. That's in Taurus. That's quite close to Uranus and Neptune, uh, Jupiter. So that's in Taurus at the moment. And I've actually got a bit of a shape out of it as well. And it's in, that's in between Mars and Jupiter. So that's a, a nice spot to look out for. Anybody that's trying to find something different, have a look for some minor planets. So uh, they're near opposition, so they're as close as they're going to get. But there's a couple of minor planets around Gemini and Taurus and Orion at the moment, which are really good to try and find. The problem is they're a, they're a bit star-like, so they don't stand out. You've got to like... You've got to know what you're looking field. at. Yeah, yeah you've, got, you've got to look, look, look at some star fields and then see what's the odd, what, what's the odd dot out. So when you said you're using your iPhone and eyepiece, the eyepiece is a telescope, I'm guessing. Yes, yeah, so my telescope, you can change the eyepieces to get different magnifications. Well, I've, I've got a camera adapter, I bought it from Waffle RSPB. You can slide your phone in it, and then there's an attachment that screws onto your eyepiece, so it grips the eyepiece. Wow. And then you, 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 your phone's like a, a TV screen. Yeah. So then you can focus your telescope through your eyepiece into your phone. Your phone should focus through your eyepiece wherever you're looking. And if you get the right settings on your phone, you can do like a short exposure and you should get star field or nebulas or star clusters mm-hmm. or planets. But Jupiter's a bit bright for my phone. I'm struggling with Jupiter. But there's different techniques you can use. But at the moment, I'm trying to find some faint stuff. So me, the way it's set up, it's, you know, you've got to, you've got to work out how, how best, to, how best to do it. But yeah, you know, different eyepieces and different telescopes, you'll need to tweak everything. But it's interesting how good uh, mobile phones are. It, yes, again, absolutely. great pictures. I mean, it's almost unbelievable the quality of some of the stuff. I think the I've detail. seen some of the stuff from your club, actually, because some members put, mm. if you follow you on Facebook, Mexico Astronomical Society. I think you're down as MSAS, aren't you? On there on Facebook. Yes. But if you follow that, you know your members put some some fantastic put shots up. Yeah, and then photographs are through a special camera. You can buy a CCD camera that fits into your eyepiece, and uh, you can do like time lapse. So what they do is the stack images. So they'll yes. like say like twenty images at sixty seconds apiece. And then they can filter out what are bad bad images and collect the good images and stack them up, and it's like a long exposure. Yeah, uh, it's amazing. So, isn't it? When's yeah. a picture, not a picture? Yeah. Ah, yeah. But they, they, a lot of people do it, don't they, to get those the quality of that pic, the, the picture? Yes. Well, it's like, in the, I mean, in the olden days, people would have drawn them, and then it's like people took, took stills uh, on, on photographic plates, and then we moved on to emulsion and slides. 
we've just moved to a different medium now where we're using CCD chips. On that and note, is, yeah. The CCD on. chips are more versatile and you can get more information out of a chip than you can do what, a what's a CC What's a CCD? Charge couple device. Ooh, oh, I've never that, heard that. that. that that's, what, that's what you get in your phone. That's what you get in a camera. You get wow. a chip that your image falls on. And that takes in the that that does the business. That takes the light and makes it into your picture. That's just remind me, Phil. You one of your um, lectures was on a, a lady, wasn't it, to do with drawing the planets? Yeah, a couple of well, last month. Yes. And how did that go? Because that can't be an easy thing really, tra- well, trying to draw a planet. Well, it depends. It depends how. But well, there's, there's different techniques. It's like it's like if you draw Jupiter, I use a ten pence piece. Draw a circle around the ten pence piece, <laughs> and then, uh, and then get your pencil or pencils and and and, and shade in the banding. The thing is, if the, the one one good thing about drawing, as opposed to taking photographs, is the fact that you look for the detail yes. in the drawing, yes. and then you start to notice things you might not notice if you just take a photograph. Yeah, mm. yeah, it's attention to detail, that, that, isn't it? That's called, that is called observing. You're actually making an observation. And you're recording a, an observation manually, but there's nothing wrong with doing photography and yeah. drawing. The thing is, if you you try and draw a full moon, <laughs> it, it, it's you're not going to achieve it. It's not easy. <laughs> no. Right, we've got about three minutes left, Phil. So, what yeah. else do you need to oh, tell us about? What's exciting stuff coming up? Uh, well, I suppose. Oh, oh I think there's an, an eclipse on the is it 25th. Uh, oh. Later on, the, so the first quarter moon will be on the. Seventeenth, and then on the twenty fifth, I think early hours of it of March of this month in in March. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There should be a lunar eclipse where it'll start going going pink into into red, but it's low to the horizon, and I think we'll lose it. But you might just get a chance if if the moon if you're up early in the morning. Oh, just have a look as the moon's setting. You might just find it's got a bit of a different colour to it. Wow. So it'll be going into it'll be going into the shadow of the Earth as the sun's rising. So is it just a partial eclipse? Did you say? Or? Yeah, I don't, I don't. Yeah, we'll 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 not see a totality eclipse. Not from here. I don't. I don't think it's a total eclipse. Uh, not that you can see from here. Could you see it from somewhere else in the world? You might, you probably yes, further around. Yeah, yeah. If you're around in America or somewhere like that. Wow. So look out for some pictures so, yeah, of that. Space station is going to be up the in the morning later on this month as well. So uh, it's it's flown over a couple of weeks ago in the evenings, and it's moved around to the mornings now. Wow! So, uh, there's, a few, there's a few. So you know, it's coming up to end of March. The clocks will be going uh, forward. Is that good news for astronomers? Uh, mm. well, not well, not for me really. Oh. It, it, it means it, it'll be later at night. To be honest, tea time is a good time to go observing when it's dark. Uh, whereas, whereas. The good thing is it's getting warmer. Uh, yes. But the thing is, you'll be out later in the evening. Yeah. It's just readjusting yourself. I've been used to going out tea time-ish. I'm going to have to like jump a couple of hours when, yeah. it, when it changes. Mm-hmm. So it's like resetting your body clock. To do it is. What you? I don't know how you fit it all in, to be fair. Phil. Well, I think well, you, you need well, to retire. The, you don't, you know. Well, this is the thing with astronomy. You can pick it up and put it down. And yes. it's like... If I'm doing some photography, like I've been trying to photograph Uranus and I've been trying to photograph uh, Vesta, I know exactly when I'm going to be photographing it. So it might only take me 10, 15 minutes to get my gear out, get it all ready, do my images and get it away. And 
you're not I'm not out all night. No. If from start to finish it'll be an hour, I've done my business, packed it away and then I'm back in the house. Fantastic. So, uh, yeah, Brilliant. yeah, yeah. So it's it's all about being planning. So to be honest, oh, oh, that's what astronomy is like. It, you well, you've got to you're plan what you're going to look at. Yeah. Don't just go out and look. Because yeah. you'll be worst thing to do is don't don't give somebody a telescope and say, oh, just go outside and do it. <laughs> what you want to do is, well, what am I interested in? Nebula, planets, all moon. stars. Yeah. Moon. Yeah. So if you look at the moon, there'll be only certain times you can see the moon, and then as the features are coming round, you'll be able to plan when you're going to see them. What you want your app on your phone or your computer program. Or your almanac to work out when things are up. And Very quickly, it's mm. you use heavens above. You use um, celestial sky. Celestial, yeah, brilliant. Uh, yeah, and also a hand planosphere. But main uh, thing is, yeah, hand planosphere. Enjoy it. Go and have a look. Yeah, yeah, enjoy yeah. it. Yeah, Great yeah. stuff. We're gonna have to let you go, right. Phil, because we're about no to finish. Yep. Great have stuff. Is, great stuff as usual, yep. Phil. Put your yep. feet up Fair now. Bye yep. bye, yeah. everybody. Bye. bye. And that's bye from us on the Life Science <laughs> Radio Show. Yep. Bye.